welcome to another edition of Movies and Tea. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Miss Kim Lowe. Hey. Tonight is another edition of our After Hours, um, our sub-series of shows where we look at the films that were sort of really holding our interest, which obviously fall outside of our usual programming of director filmography reevaluation and certainly as we're in currently working behind the scenes on season two uh we've got a couple of these shows uh, in the meantime now tonight is the turn of kim to obviously pick the film that we're looking at and um kim you chose for us to look at the 2014 film in your eyes directed by Bryn hill and more keely scripted by joss wielden oh he of Buffy and Avengers and basically anything exciting in the geek world um, he's obviously the man the man behind behind it all yeah he is <laughs> I mean I was surprised I think I I I landed on your eyes um, pretty spontaneously uh, I don't know if it was on I think it was on Netflix and I landed on it and it was just really like I didn't really know I mean, I realized I knew people in it afterwards, but I'm I'm one of those people who like romance stories, and I like kind of like um, uh, interesting little things, like 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 romance structured around just like really um, keying into two characters spending time together and watching that sort of their kind of relationship develop. So um, maybe we just start with a plot. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, the plot itself is, while it's obviously at heart, it's got elements of romance in, in here. This is um, marketed as a paranormal romance, but I wouldn't even say it's, it's kind of, that much of a paranormal. It's kind of sci-fi, I think. It's more sci-fi than paranormal in my mind. Yeah. Um, basically, we've got these two strangers. We've got uh, Rebecca, who is living in New Hampshire, and we've got Dylan, who lives in New Mexico. And basically the two strangers who suddenly discover from childhood that they're able to see into each other's minds. Um, however, it's a talent that only really comes to the forefront when they're adults, when they sort of rediscover and are able to actually start communicating with each other. So Dylan's able to see what Rebecca sees and vice versa. Um, the two initially forming this rather unique friendship and over the course of the film it sort of develops into more of a closer bond between them two uh, with Dylan who's basically an ex-parole is trying not to go back into his criminal ways and Rebecca at the same time is sort of trapped in a problematic marriage and the two suddenly find that this new talent raises a lot of suspicion with the people around them as they start being accused of being schizophrenic and just generally losing their mind and um the film is really just about these two characters and this very unique bond that they share and just watching it unfold over the course of the film i think that's sort of the best way to describe it because this is um it's certainly a unique film and i think it's certainly in terms of if we're even classing it as a romantic film it's sort of one that you would put along, along the likes of uh, like Ruby Sparks and Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. It's um, very much like an indie romance sort of film at, at its heart. But uh, yeah, 
so I mean, this is you said this is one that you sort of stumbled across, Kim. Yeah, I mean, in your eyes is like I always I always go and hunt down like uh, romance every once in a while, and I like looking for romance, which is really like you know, like I said, it's it's kind of different from other things. Um, really focused on character development and chemistry, and I really find that those are the best types of romances. So it was really interesting for this one because you really had like these two characters and. Honestly, this was the first time because I've never seen Ruby Sparks and that came out before this one and that's with Zoe Kazan and I I actually haven't seen her in anything in my memory at that time of these two characters. Obviously, I have because um, Rebecca is played by um, Zoe Kazan, as I said, and um, Dylan is played by Michael Stahl David, which is the guy in Cloverfield <laughs> trying to find his girlfriend. So it's it's an interesting cast. Like, um, I mean, I, I like I like their chemistry a lot. I like the fact that, you know, there's there is a good bit of character development in like I think there's there are flaws, I think, in the script itself, uh, a little bit of suspension of belief, a lot of things that happen. You kind of like wonder, OK, well, that kind of like maybe they edited a little bit too, too much out and the story suddenly has these like little holes that you kind of if you're really into these characters you kind of overlook which is you know i've seen this movie like a ton of times now um i watch it like almost like at least once or twice a year it's kind of like my little it's it's a drama but somehow it's kind of like my happy place that i go to i really love the movie but what did you think about it i mean yeah i mean i can see how this would be the movie you watch when you want to go to your happy place i mean this is really sort of like joss wielden doing his time life movie uh, it's kind of like something you would throw on in like a Sunday afternoon if you're uh, looking for something to watch but don't really want to think too much. Um, as it's very light and at the same time that works to its advantage, the fact it never gets particularly heavy. Um, certainly was surprising, the fact that I did obviously enjoy this as much as I did because certainly the... The premise itself seemed kind of schlocky. And it was sort of like, oh, I can see where this is going to go, like straight off the bat. And I was kind of like relieved the fact that they don't go there instantly. It's sort of like, it starts off in the fact that you've got these two characters and it's more just, it starts off really just sort of like this really unusual friendship. The fact that they're helping each other in their own lives, such as there's a scene where Dylan is going on a date with this girl who's, kind of really into him um that hangs around his local bar and rebecca's basically advising him on what to do on the date and she's like he's there like cooking and she's sort of like giving him like feedback on what this sauce he's making and stuff but it's really kind of clueless um i think he needs more than more than just a verbal help because He's just really completely clueless at the best time. He's there cremating steaks, like, <laughs> it's sort of like, oh, yeah, these are about pretty much done. <laughs> you hear this, like, heavy fud on the grill, and it's sort of like, yeah, no one's going to eat those. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I think what's the, what the thing is, is that, like you said, it's really light, and the two characters themselves, I mean, you know, they have very clear-cut characters, so they're very, like, you know, at the same time, like, like Becca and Dylan is so charming to watch. They're like fun and they're cute. And the way that it like really develops from the beginning is like you have these really funny moments when they first learn about this and then they start linking everything together and finding out like, oh, when this all began and 
feeling like, you know, I think that in a way there is something a little bit deeper to these characters is that they are, they do have really troubled past and they feel really lonely. And I think in, in a certain way, maybe there's a little bit deeper to just how these characters are developed in the sense that you really feel for them that they both have these they, they like they're lonely in their lives like one is literally lonely because he's by himself all the time and and like becca is she doesn't find like she's very controlled and manipulated in the current marriage that she's in so there's a lot of things that she's controlled to do she doesn't have the courage to jump out and do things and in a certain way you see that these two like their friendship or their connection makes them into you know a better person or makes them stronger and makes them more courageous to deal with everyday life and kind of break out of this i don't know this bubble that they've trapped themselves in in a certain way yeah definitely um something i was really relieved about is that i mean the film opens with them both their child personas and we see that rebecca clearly is overwhelmed with the concept of how to ride a sledge as she um uh, finds it she it's going downhill and we see young childhood Dylan, he's in class and he's like gripping the desk because he's seeing through her eyes, he's getting that sensation of riding on the sled and obviously she crashes into a tree uh, because bailing off a sled is apparently too overwhelming for her character and this obviously then shows a great connection with Dylan who's now like unconscious in his classroom um, and I was so glad that it's not like, oh we're going to spend like 15 minutes or so with them as childhood actors because these child actors are horrible they're really terrible and yeah but they're as you said yeah like like let's just said, i think that it they were really just placeholders that's just set up the stage for what's to go on yeah. right and it reminds me that <laughs> you're reminding me of of like that i have like if you haven't watched flip yet that's one of the movies we have to add on eventually <laughs> okay and um yeah, again, we have, you said already they've got all this heavy stuff in the past, and we don't dwell on any of that heavy stuff. It's mentioned, and it's all the more effective, the fact it's sort of brought up. I mean, she obviously has a spell in a psychiatric institute. He's in prison. Yeah. And both characters reference these moments of, like, feelings of, like, loneliness and scared, um, being scared. And I thought it was all the more effective than, oh, we're just going to go through, like, the cliche psychiatry scene. We're going to yeah. go through, like the cliche scene of him being like dominated by some large fellow in prison it's sort of yeah. scenes that i didn't need to see and it was really kind of refreshing to see especially a, a director who like Brent hill who at this point this is on his second feature um because before this he only directed um and wrote the ball don't lie which is a basketball drama um about a caretaker with uh, ocd who finds sort of comfort on the basketball court and this is only his second film. Uh, Josh Wilden, again, this is a script he wrote when he was 21, so back in 92. So it's an old script, so it's not quite got all the flair for dialogue that we obviously see in his later projects, especially in like his TV work with like Buffy, Angel, Dollhouse, and Firefly. Um, and obviously the stuff he did with like the Marvel Universe. So anyone going into this thinking, oh, I'm going to get loads of like wielding like tropes and stuff um maybe a little disappointed because it hasn't got quite got the snappy dialogue but he really at this sort of level where he sort of like started as a writer knows how to write character interactions and this is sort of the key thing here is a lot of the scenes are characters essentially 
telepathically communicating with each other and yet you feel that they are in the same place it never feels like this sort of like cliche thing of oh i'm watching you through my eyes and there are a couple of stumbles with the initial sort of setup and i was so glad that once it establishes the rules for this world that it really um sort of tightens things up like when they initially sort of like oh i want to see each other and of course she happens to be in in a, a pajamas and uh he's sort of like in his cowboy getup so it's sort of like the male and female sort of fancy personas that they're playing for each other because you know he's the good looking cowboy sort of character <laughs> and it was sort of like oh it's like yeah but i mean sh- but i think that i think that the idea of what they're wearing or what it is is that I think it's more the fact built by, like, just how, how like, these funny moments. Like, you know, they're looking at, he looks in the mirror for the first time, and he's like, God, I'm beautiful. <laughs> and then it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> he literally forgot that, you know, about himself and her. And, and just in that moment, you kind of really see these characters who, in, later on, obviously, we learn a lot more about, you know, why, like, you know, why Dylan is, you know, he doesn't see himself as much more than what he is or, you know, or like why um, uh, Rebecca is is so, you know, she's so closed off and she's so like she keeps a lot of her like she keeps a lot of her thoughts. And this is like her moment when she has this connection to really open up her mind and be really able to engage into this thing. And really, like you see her character change from when she's with her husband to with like we just talking in the middle of the street and having to pretend that she's on the phone or like to all those things where she doesn't care anymore about what everybody sees her as. And it's, it's kind of like this, I think, I don't know. I guess it's, it's this liberating feeling that you get of someone subconsciously finding that person who, who makes you not care about everyone else around you. You know, it's like, I, I know it's a little bit like a cliche romance in a certain way, but I think those things are really cute to watch and when you can really find two characters who have that chemistry, who can really deliver something like this. Honestly, right now in the romance landscape of movies, I find it really hard. I mean, you know, judging from we're seeing a movie in like 2014 and talking about it, I don't think that, you know, in recent, like, it's it's a rarity to find it. It's, uh, I think the romance genre is just very overworked. Yeah. Uh, when we do get romance film, I mean, I did have to, I, when I was watching the film, I didn't realize it was so Kazan who I was watching. I thought it was the chick from Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, Zoe Kazan. I mean, she's like uh, Zoe de Chanel. She's like your prototypical manic pixie dream girl. Mm-hmm. And here she kind of tones it down a bit uh, from certainly from what we saw in like Ruby Sparks and. She brings a lot of charm to the character, and there's a lot of things that she's a because of her performance and her personality, she's able to get away with. And we don't sort of like question, like, when we've got like the braille sex scene in here where she's like wearing mismatched underwear and stuff, and it's all like, oh, that's so quirky, but it's all like, that's fine for 
because it's so Kazan who's playing this. It's not like Michelle Williams who's playing this, and we would like go, oh, she's wearing mismatch underwear. It's sort of like because it's so Kazan. It's sort of like yeah, that's her personality. It sort of matches in with the sort of characters she plays. It's funny that it makes sense. It's funny that you bring it up because that's actually like I mean I love the movie as a whole and I love a ton of the scenes, but I found that like that scene leading up to even that scene itself is yeah. so like so powerful just the whole setup of the whole thing like it, it is a little like cheesy the more i watch it the more i like you know at, at this point when i need to be a little bit more objective as i watch this time to to really like you know see it it, it is a little funky and weird but i think that what it achieves with the like just like i said it's a connection it's a chemistry that these characters have and the fact that it's zoe kazan for sure and like just them doing like the fact that it's not very like it's not physical but it is and you're kind Mm. of like straddling that line there's like this kind of artsy indie flair to it that kind of really works i guess and i was just super like i was super impressed by that scene like every single time i watch it i'm like you know that's so smart to do something like that um obviously you know you have this kind of thing where at this point you kind of question her character because you're kind of like well she's married and this is is this cheating is that not cheating um but then you're kind of like well she's kind of with a jerk <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the only justification you need is so like is the person i'm with her, a jerk her husband's yes. like a piece <laughs> of shit and it just gets worse as we see more of him and, and then you're just kind of like, well, you know, I feel bad for justifying it that way. Like, it's okay to cheat if you're with a jerk. But that's not the case. Like, I think that, you know, she realizes that she wants out of this relationship, but she's never had the courage to do it because she never really knows what she wants. She always found that, you know, like, because of her history and everything, that she needed someone um, like like super grounded who's gonna tell her what to do and really like guide her certainly when we look at uh mark's feudicine's character here who plays her husband philip who's um i mean mark feudicine's probably best known for playing the doctor in role pain so real character stretch here that he's playing a doctor here <laughs> as well great work there philip <laughs> and he i mean yeah he basically provides her with that that stability i mean he's providing her with the life that she thinks she wants and it's only when she's obviously communicating with dylan that she realizes you know i can be my own sort of person i don't have to be in this marriage i can sort of break free and it's not nice the fact that it's not so much the fact that i have to be with dylan to like find myself i is because in the builder trick she's like discovering like you know i can be myself i'm fun i'm quirky i'm all these things that i forgot i was and I think that's something I really liked, and the fact that the romance sort of angle between these characters really comes like in the third, sort of the third quarter, which is really refreshing to see because you think that as soon as these two characters start connecting, that yeah. it's only going to be a matter of time before they get together. So when we do have that bloody, that inevitable sex scene, because it's it's inevitable, you can't have these two characters and form this bond without the audience is going to be want to see this. So that's why it's there. It's all like, well, how are these two characters going to have sex with each other? It's like, oh, they're just going to, like, touch each other. They're going to touch themselves and it's going to revert back. Yeah. Um, because I think, I think one thing we were never really clear about is that, like, 
the that concept behind their relationship is really that it's not really just like they see what they're seeing, but they can also have the sensories, right? So they can hear everything that's going on around them. They can pretty much live in the space of that person. They can feel everything around it, uh, like feel the weather or um, feel the touch or have the sensation like when you they get hit or when they get hurt, they feel the same pain emotionally and physically. Oh, yeah. And certainly, I mean, that led to one of the darker moments in this where Dylan basically loses his rag with Rebecca for how she sort of... I think it, I, it's hard to say whether it's because how she's intruding in his life or the fact that he's frustrated with how her life is going. And he's basically hitting himself, yeah. knowing that it's going to revert back and hit her. And while it's obviously not man or woman violence, it's still obviously got that connotation of what he's doing is to deliberately inflict pain on her. And it just makes you feel very sort of uncomfortable, even though you know it's all the, the way he wants to strike back at her and certainly i mean yeah it's i love the fact that the fact it's not just that we're seeing for each other's eyes the fact you get the feeling you get the all these different sensory feedback so when we do obviously have this thing i'm not trying not to dwell on this at all and i love the fact that brin who actually tries to uh go a little arty with it so you see his hand appearing yeah. with hers and it's sort of like oh see what i'm doing here and i was like it went on a bit longer than i needed it to well i, I mean it's like like, I, I think it's because, you know, I think it's because I do love these movies a lot. Um, and I don't get a lot of these moments that, for me, I thought it was a really powerful and very effective scene. Um, yeah. Especially, like like I said, paired up with, it was kind of like a really sad scene before it. Um, like a real reality check for, you know, for the characters. And it was like this really deep moment that they had. At this point, you know, they were really just... They were, you know, learning about each other, and they were really just, you know, you you saw the character build from what you learned about their lives and the things that they do, and you know, helping each other and encouraging each other and giving each other that strength, and seeing the world around each other. And at that moment, it it you know, you start seeing the how they got to exactly this point that they have, and they both have this kind of reality check moment, and they kind of embrace and you know embrace this connection that they have fully that you know maybe there's something more yeah um i mean certainly for my for myself my favorite moments are just the general conversational moments it'd be like just like the throwaway scenes where she's washing wine out of her her trousers Mm -hmm. and they're just having like general conversations or where they're helping each other i think those were like more interesting to me than the potential romance angle and Again, even when we get to, like, well, the finale... I mean, we... one of the best scenes, like, if you... Like, normal ones, like, I, I love, is when she's, like, looking through her storage room and then they're listening to music and doing personality quizzes. And it's yeah, so... Definitely. It's such a beautiful scene there. It's it's very happy. It's very, like... Um, it's really fun. It's like you're really watching, like, two really good friends hit it off. And they're, they're like, just talking about random silly things and being like oh i don't want to share that with you and and you know and then there's like no but you have to or else it doesn't work and you know that sort of crazy conversation that you have again they really sort of hone in on this in the finale where we've got the world's most unexciting car chase happening where he's basically driving around in a circle to escape the police and at the same time talking her through how to escape from her padded cell um using his sort of lockpick 
skills. And I thought that was a really cool, really cool scene. Although her amazing escape from the hospital by just putting her head down is like right up there with stupid, stupid escape attempts. It's like when Stephen McQueen, is, um, his amazing disguise in The Great Escape is to disguise himself as an American. Um, where everyone else is like putting all this effort into like disguises and stuff and he's basically just going to disguise himself as Steve McQueen it just felt kind of stupid that oh, I'm just going to put my head down no one's going to notice I'm an escape crazy patient well no um, I mean like the concept was that you know what you're doing you know where you're going and then people yeah. will think you fit in and I think that that was the concept behind it like, you know it was a low budget version of an escape right <laughs> You know, if you don't look crazy, they they might not notice you because you're still new here and you've been stuck in your room forever. You know, there's like two nurses that's probably seen you. So, I mean, <laughs> I like I said, I defend the movie a lot. Um, I, you know, like I, I never thought about these things as inconsistencies. I do think that it is a really like it was a really fun scene. But obviously, like I said, like logically, if you think too much about this, there is a mm. lot of flaws to the things they say and the things that happen and, you know, the final scene, you know, like, how do they end up, you know, at that ending point where they're like, you hear the train? Run for it! And then they're, like, right across from each other. So, it's just, it's a lot of, you know, const- like, coincidental and things that, that kind of, like, you know. Then, romance is, is this sort of movie where I find this genre where you you are allowed to let your memory kind of like let your mind kind of wander a little in those moments especially in light movies light romances where you can accept these things because you know who wants to go there and watch like a sobby romance i'm I'm telling you though the first time i watched this film i don't know why but joss whedon always gives me this feeling he's gonna write some shitty ending for his characters (laughs) <laughs> so I was sitting there and I was like, oh my God, they're going to get caught and they're going to pull away. This is going to be such a crappy, bittersweet, crappy ending. And I'm just like, and that was the first time I was watching this film. I had this like dread in my heart. I was like, oh, something's bad. Something bad is going to happen to them. They're going to split them apart. And I'm like, or they're going to like, I don't know, something's going to happen. Some accident is going to happen. Yeah, that that would that's just basically five minutes after the movie credits that the movie credits kick in. That's what we would have seen, is that they're basically... Because the whole... I mean, just spoiler alert here. Um, the ending, obviously, they finally get together. So we get five seconds of screen time with these two characters finally get together. And he's broken parole. She's escaped from a mental institution. Um, five, I guarantee five minutes after the credit, he's being hauled off to jail. She's being thrown in the cell and lobotomized or something. No one's going to end up happy. So I think they made the right choice and just like ending it here it's sort of like just end movie everyone's happy well i mean the train technically as they were expecting it should be heading to canada which is supposedly the romance in an exotic setting which makes me very happy if you think canada is an exotic setting because i am canadian they're just just gonna that's so so the the film ends with you helping them out in the underground canadian railroad Only anywhere Where that you ends. help, like, indie film romances escape their freedom from <laughs> mental institutions. Wouldn't that be the job? Analysis? Wouldn't that be the job if there was enough indie romances for me to fall in love with? God. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, by the time they get to get together at the end, I mean, I was happy enough with it. And they don't overplay it, this, the whole romance between them, which, again, I was very relieved about because there's always the worry when you have a romance thing that it's just going to go over and sweet and it's just going to kill all this 
development that we built up because at the heart they still the the heart of their relationship is that these are two people who are friends first Mm -hmm. that was the thing they share this really strong connection as friends and discovering about things about each other is where um their sort of interest light and the film never forgets that it doesn't like go oh they're now a couple and even though it obviously has to go the usual romantic routes of like as you said you know she's a married woman so the only way that it's acceptable for to cheat is if the husband or current spouse is a jackass and it's you know same as in like titanic you know kate winslet is married but because billy zane's a jackass (laughs) um it's okay for her to go off with ruffian leo dicaprio Yeah, and, and you know, at the same, well, like, I mean, Titanic doesn't even have that guilt factor to it, you know? Whereas, like, this one, the two characters, because they're friends first, they actually have that barrier where, where you know, they always bring up, oh, you know, your husband, and, you know, she helps him try to get a girlfriend, and they, they do these things before they even step into that new direction that they are going into, like, the romance part. And it's, it's refreshing to see something like that because I think that films and a lot of romantic comedies forget that life is a lot more than just being like starting something as enemies and then turning into, you know, a couple or, you know, right away it's like, yeah, like this, you're in love. It doesn't happen yeah, yeah. like that, you know, like I'm all for being romantic and I am a romantic at heart and, but, you know... Love at first sight is great in concept, but, you know, I think that as imaginative and suspension of belief as you want, there's still that reality that needs to be there. That reality that, you know, you're not being like, oh, right away you're in love, right away there's attraction. And, uh, it you know, it's one of those criticisms I have a lot about romance and why sometimes I can't get into a film because I don't know these characters. I won't care whether they're relationship i won't feel that chemistry that they have and that connection that they have and these things are all super important in particularly a romantic film yeah and i think it's also nice the fact that wilderness here is clearly making the most of of this unique opportunity i mean we've obviously got a unique circumstance where we can see each other's head so the fact that he's exploring you know what are the possibilities of this so it's sort of like um, not only do you get to experience someone else's life, and of course they happen to be po- complete polar opposites, because he's living in a trailer, she's living in a penthouse. She's living in a, a mansion. Not even a penthouse, yeah. she lives in a freaking mansion. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I love the fact he only, through each other, They, you know, they initially they start off and they're better in each other's lives, you know. He tidies his trailer, and she discovers herself again. And I, I love that idea, I mean, I would... It would be great if I had a connect. If I found myself I had a connection with some girl somewhere, and it would be like really helpful as he as he finds out he sort of like tried don't know how to talk to the girl at the bar, and he's got his wing woman there to like guide him through, and she's like, oh, you know, compliment her shoes, um, you know, rather than just like her eyes or her, her personality or something, something that she's born with, as the film puts it, and it's it's great the scene that he's like they're coaching him how to talk to this girl who initially when she's introduced um they had this very clumsy encounter and you see what he's like on his own um <laughs> where he's he, he's not smooth um he doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing so to have someone there to like 
give it to give him some guidance. It really was sort of like a cool little scene to have. And though I have to say that isn't it convenient though that whenever they have connections and stuff, it's always the perfect timing. It's never like when they're in the middle of like trying to cook dinner or you know going to the bathroom or something like that. It's always like these perfect moments that they happen to have these connections. Because I would imagine if you because they don't explain if they can like turn it on and off. They just seem to like know when to speak to each other. Well, it 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 seems that they can. Um, it seems that maybe because like psych uh psycho psychologically i guess psychologically like Re- rebecca's character had more like mental issues that she's learned how to shut it off and turn it off uh, turn it on a lot better than dylan because dylan knows nothing about it so in a certain way like they can just like block the connection whenever they want and they can just like turn it off and be like yeah block it <laughs> and I, I guess so otherwise you'd need to like put in some severe ground rules it's sort of like between five and six that's elwood time <laughs> you do not come in my mind to this and you just like work out all your your private time uh stuff for them <laughs> for that little block of time you give yourself and then i mean it'd be it'd be like an absolute nightmare because like someone could see like all your personal like details like all your passwords and stuff like and then if you, like, fell out with this person, they'd become, like, really vindictive and, like, ruin your life, <laughs> psychology. That, that would be another story. That would be another, like, that would be a horror cyber tech story. I know. <laughs> There's a... That's, like, uh, some next level, um, that's next level, what do you call it? Uh, but, yeah, I mean I, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought, going into this, especially when you hear the word romance, that's always, like, a... Warning bell because but romance to, is to, to difficult to do. To be fair to everybody listening, I didn't really give Elwood much of a choice. <laughs> I I pretty much gave him three romances, and I was like, choose one of these. <laughs> and then he pretty <laughs> much me? read one, and he was like, nope, <laughs> that looks crap. And then he read the next one, <laughs> and then he was like, hmm. <laughs> and then there was the next, and then there was like pretty much you know one left. There was this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this is the whole whole point of this whole experiment, really. It's just the fact that it is about pushing your boundaries of your film watching taste. Because if you just watch things that you're comfortable watching all the time, you, you you're not really achieving anything. And I think we proved that with Pompeii, um, a movie that I don't think anyone was particularly looking forward to, and you know, it was pleasantly surprising for myself, and you know, not so much for you <laughs> yourself, but. People can obviously go back in there, find our thoughts on how Pompeii turned out, and um, yeah, I mean, it was as I said, it was uh, it was definitely a pleasant surprise, and it, I think, the fact that it went in so many surprising directions, and the evolution of these characters felt very natural compared to, as I said, you see romance in the title, and it's just like that that warning sign already because your mind goes to the place that oh, it's going to be a romance, so it's going to make these great leaps and have these cliche moments and it's going to be like a time life christmas movie where we're just gonna be it's just gonna be a case of crossing off points and it never felt like oh we're just crossing off points here it felt like a very natural flow it wasn't like um i'm watching it's like like oh we've got to get to this point and then we've got to get to this point um i wasn't for like i would say for like the good first half i wasn't sure where it was gonna go i thought they would just be friends i didn't think that they would actually get together i thought you know they just uh had this friend connection and 
they wouldn't actually meet and obviously that was kind of thrown out by the time we get into the third act but yeah well i think if we talk about some further viewing now if you obviously watch this and you want wanting to pair it up with something else i mean where do you really sort of go from here kim uh for me i would have i guess two choices one would be because this this just reminded me of flipped so that would be a really cute one to do um uh, for those who don't know what Flipped is, Flipped is a uh, an adaptation of a book, which is about uh, the fuse of pretty much two young kids, as and one is like the girl really likes the boy, and then you have this like whole. Uh, it's a really cute scene about two perspectives going on, and um, you see like their young children friendship go on, and it's it's adorable in their own way. Um, and then um, if it was something that's along the lines of uh, this movie, which is very about very much about two people who connect and then have this kind of chemistry. Um, and quite unique is uh, Before We Go, which is the uh, debut direct, uh, directorial effort of Chris Evans, and he stars in it also. So yeah, it's a it's a really fun story. Like they go, they kind of like walk around New York a lot. Um, it's not rated very well, but I personally I thought it was a really um, nice. Like there was a lot of really nice messages on how the story evolved. So you know, it's it's one that you can pair really well with in your eyes. How about you? I think my main sort of one that I want to pair it with, um, as we mentioned earlier in the episode would be Ruby Sparks um, I think Ruby Sparks is a really interesting sort of comparison where we've got um, her real life um, partner uh, Paul Dano um, plays this writer who is sort of struggling uh, with his early success as a writer and inadvertently creates himself uh, the perfect girlfriend through his writing um, in the in the creation of Ruby is this girl who's sort of writing about um, somehow comes to life and he embarks on this relationship with her and as the uh, film goes on he discovers that he can obviously keep adjusting her personality through his writing so the fact of he starts up she starts up with the seemingly the perfect girlfriend but he starts getting jealous so he starts changing her personality so she becomes more devoted to him and as the uh, film goes on we just see how he like changed it and it does have a really kind of dark ending but it's sort of like again in that sort of a new unique romantic angle that we obviously have uh here again uh zoe kazan is just absolutely charming in the film and um that's i think any sort of film where she's there doing the manic pixie dream girl thing is always kind of interesting to watch um on the darker side of things you I mean you can get essentially get the same film we have here uh, with the Masters of Horror episode Chocolate, which is directed by Mick Garris, uh, based on his short story. And basically it's uh, about this divorced guy named Jamie who develops artificial flavorings. And he basically suddenly starts discovering that he can see see an experience like we have in the film here. Uh, the experiences of this woman that he's never met. Um, hence, as he puts it, I tasted another man's chocolate. And... In, of course, being a Mick Garris thing, it takes on a horror angle as uh, he finds himself embroiled in this series of uh, murders that, that he's obviously seen through these eyes. Um, it also has the unique feeling scene where 
he gets to experience what it's like to be fucked, um, which is what, which is uh, something that this film didn't do. But I thought it was certainly a unique um, aspect of the episode, and certainly one of the aspects that people often want to talk about when they talk about this episode. And I mean, the whole of the first season of Masters of Horror is absolutely fantastic because it is truly masters of horror that are coming together and directing these short films. And Mick Garris's Chocolate might not be the strongest entry in there, but certainly for what it does with the same same sort of setup that Joss Whedon gives us with In Your Eyes um, makes it an interesting comparison piece if we were to obviously take the same story and you know take it off in a darker direction. So um, as they say, there are no original ideas, just variations on the same story. Um, and I think just if you put these two films side by side, you see that very pretty much in action. So, but um, yeah, for myself, I mean, I, I recommend it in your eyes as a, a throwaway Sunday afternoon watch. I think Kim, I mean, do you sort of rate it a little higher than that or? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I personally love films like this, so yes. But I mean, to be fair, I think, I think a Sunday watch is, is a good, you know, a good way to put it. It's like nice and relaxing and, you know, and it's mm. kind of light, light and cute. <laughs> uh, this brings us to the end of another edition of Movies and Tea. We hope, as always, you've enjoyed listening. Uh, you can, of course, follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, we also have the Instagram page as well, where we post interesting screen caps from the films that we're looking at, as well as um, hinting at what's obviously to come in future episodes. Uh, you can also uh, follow our blog, which is moviesandteapodcast.wordpress.com. Uh, on there, you can not only find the complete archive of all our episodes, uh, but you can also find reviews uh, on there as well. Um, now, uh, if you haven't done already, uh, if you listen to us on Podomatic or iTunes uh, as well, could you please hit the like or subscribe buttons and, you know, maybe leave us a review, leave us some feedback, let us know what you think of these episodes and uh, what films that you would like to see us cover or directors whose filmography you feel needs to be reevaluated. We'd love to uh, hear back from yourselves uh, and it certainly helps the show get a little more notice there. Um, but. As always, I'd like to say thank you to my co-host, Miss Kimlo. It's always great to talk about stuff. <laughs> talk about great <laughs> and movies and stuff. And thank you, uh, thank you for this uh, unique, romantic uh, film experience. So, <laughs> I'm glad you liked uh, it. I- I've already told you about how I'm worried that you wouldn't like it, and I would have recommended another crappy movie to someone. Yeah, and uh, of course, is next time is my pick. Which I think, uh, I'm not sure how you're going to feel about this one, but um, we're going to be reevaluating Sucker Punch, the very diversive Zack Schneider dream project. Um, this is a film which has got, even, is somehow gained like massive cult appeal, which could be argued for many different reasons. At the same time, it's got equally as many detractors for it who see it as just throwaway trash. So. We're going to be re-looking, revisiting Sucker Punch and uh, re-evaluating it for ourselves. So uh, make sure you join us for that on the next episode. But uh, thank you as always for listening and uh, until next time, good night.